Welcome to our Mutual Mastered. My name's Will, and this is the number one music podcast for driving your kids to school. On the show this week, I'm joined by James. Hello. And Tom. Hello. On the show this week, we're going to be reviewing the new Soccer Mommy album. We've got the upcoming release you need to know about. But first, let's get into the news. Tom, what have you got for us? Not a lot this week, Will. Um, I mean, the big news is that obviously... Uh, we're at the end of June, so Glastonbury just happened, basically. Um, festival season is well and truly underway. Uh, the summer solstice has been and gone, so obviously it is now summertime proper. Um, there were various little stories and cool little sets in Glastonbury. I've just pulled out one story, which I did see um, with my own eyes, and it really was a cool little moment. I wasn't there, but I did spend most of the weekend glued to my TV, wishing I was there. Uh, and this was a moment where I really thought, I want to be in this crowd. Um, little Amal, um, the huge uh, 20-foot puppet, uh, which is um, this representation of this 10 or 11-year-old girl from Syria, um, appeared at Glastonbury all of a sudden during somebody's set. Um joined also during the same song with the same band uh, by members from Citizens of the World Choir, uh, including Ukrainian refugees. Um, Little Amal came on for the concluding song of Elbow's set at Glastonbury. Uh, So well done. We're about two minutes in and we've already got one slot on the bingo card. Um, This is genuinely a moment that I didn't expect, didn't know what was going to happen, but that was actually really, really sweet and really cool. Um, Little Amal, this great big 20-foot puppet um, with these really expressive eyes that just seem to be full of wonder and intrigue. Um, suddenly discovered Glastonbury, just came out from one side of the stage, walked up and um, stared out of the crowd alongside Guy Garvey and the various members of Elbow and about 30 members of uh, the Citizens of the World Choir. Really, really nice. Um, Great little set just to begin with. And then also one day like this with a giant puppet and then just a choir of refugees in the background. It felt like a really, really wholesome moment. The other thing that stood out for me um, also is that Elbow began and ended their set with a little um, backdrop, um, which was just a little brick wall, and on, and on the brick wall it said, uh, we still believe in love. It was a really, really wholesome set to watch, and I really enjoyed this. Um, yes, it's Elbow, and it's one band I always talk about, but I thought this was actually a really nice little moment. This was a really sweet part of Glastonbury, which I really enjoyed. Um, oh, and Paul McCartney was there, apparently, as well. Um, I didn't see him yet. Uh, I think that's it, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. And speaking of live music, uh, something that a lot of my friends have been talking about this week um, is Elton John's been doing uh, his farewell tour. Tom, I you've been to see it, and I haven't heard your mm-hmm. opinions on, on the show yet, so I'd like to hear what did you think. Yeah, well, let me tell you a quick little story first. Um There was a reason that I went out of my way to get tickets for this when they came my way. When the tour was first announced, I wasn't that worried about it because it would have been like, what, 2019 when it was first announced or something like that? Sounds about right. It must have been about three years ago. It's been a long time coming, this tour anyway. 
And I remember I wasn't too worried at the time. I thought he's got some cool songs, but you know, I could take it or leave it. I've, I heard he was going to play Glastonbury and he was going to do, do a set there. So I thought, I'll wait for that one. I'll wait for that to arrive. Um, then, well, it must have been about two years ago. So probably during lockdown, I recall my first ever musical memory. And it just, I sort of dredged it up from the back of my mind and realized the first time I actually properly listened to a performance of a song and started to enjoy music and uh, fall down the rabbit hole of being a music fan was listening to Elton John in a kid's movie, play Crocodile Rock. And then I thought to myself, well, I wish I kind of got tickets now. I kind of want to complete that circle and, and finish that circuit and see him uh, performing live. Luckily, managed to grab a couple of um, spare tickets uh, from a friend of mine called Jack, who runs Pyramid Studios in Reading. Hi, Jack, if you're listening. Um, he was able to buy uh, Glastonbury tickets. So obviously he then had you know some nice tickets for Elton John, which was happening on the Saturday of High Park. Um, I then had a right nightmare to get there because normally I would have gone, well, I'll take the train. But uh, anyone who's been in the UK in the last <laughs> week will know that there were train strikes happening. So I was in real trouble. As it turned out, was able to hire a car, uh, drove through London for the first time. And I really, really, really hope the last time in my life, that was not an enjoyable experience, uh, managed to park up. And as soon as I parked up and got in the um was ready to go over i thought oh well that's nice there's a there's a pub next door um um playing benny and the jets really really loudly with lots and lots of echo and reverb and then i stepped outside and realized there was no pub and i went oh no i've missed the start of the set i reckon i must have i got i got to london about or oh, eight o'clock ish or something like that maybe cutting it a little bit late in retrospect but I had a busy day. Um, so I realized I must have missed about half an hour of the set initially. And I kind of heard bits of Tiny Dancer as I was heading in the direction of Hyde Park. Um, but we got there. It was all good. It was fine. Um, some was still up. And I was really, really genuinely surprised. I literally just went just to tick it off as a, as a bucket list item here else than John play Crocodile Rock. And I actually had a really, really good time. Um... I was loaded with expectations, wondering, firstly, what he was going to play. Secondly, how much of it was going to come from um, his Diamonds um, Best Of album. Um, the, the, answer, the answer is most of it came from that uh, album, but not all of it, which was a surprise. Um, the other thing that really stood out to me is that his voice still sounded really, really, really good. I've heard, oh, well, I mean, like over my life, I've heard him perform live, like in YouTube videos and like recordings of his sets in various events and festivals and whatever else. And it's never sounded quite that good. His voice has sounded quite flat and it sounded a bit, um, not even gruff, but just a little bit flat and just a little bit uninspiring. I don't know whether that's just the way that his voice was mixed and it was um, uh, blended with the music itself or how it comes across on on, on uh, iPad speakers or computer speakers or whatever else. But actually, when I was there and it was happening in front of me, when I heard his voice blended in with the crowd it had a, or blended in with the band, it had a lot more presence, a lot more body. It felt like a really, really solid performance. He still obviously couldn't hit the high notes that he used to, but then the crowd could normally fill in for those little bits anyway, and there were some brilliant bits of crowd participation. Um, so that was thing number one. Really impressed with his voice. Thing number two 
is that this was not the um, rehearsed to the nth degree pop show that I thought it was going to be. I expected this to just be three minute song after three minute song after three minute song. And I realized in retrospect, I went in with completely wrong expectations. There were at least two different points where um, Elton John and his band, terrific band, really, really experienced and really, really good players, um, were going off on three, four, five minute instrumental tracks. I presume that these were off albums, but they weren't ones that I was familiar with. And if you didn't know any better, you would just say that they were just, you know, band jams. They were literally just having a bit of fun on stage at Hyde Park in front of however many people it was. It must have been oh, 8,000, 10,000, something like that, I reckon. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was really interesting to see um, how organic that performance felt. I really expected it to be a little bit uh, on the nose and really, really, um, not even well rehearsed, but just drilled. I expected it to not feel um, as organic as it did, which was really surprising. The other thing as well is that there was oodles of enthusiasm through uh, the entire band. And I've now got to try and uh, quickly Google the names of the people in this band, but I couldn't help but notice there were some terrific um, different folks in there, and this is where I'm not going to be able to find the name in time. Ray Cooper. I will find the name. Ray Cooper, old geezer, looks a bit like Phil Collins, um, about 20 years in the future. Um, and he was there at the back, percussionist. He had some conga drums with him at the front. He had a tambourine, he had some maracas. And I've never seen a, a, a bold, wrinkly old geezer look so into the music he was playing. And it was so, so refreshing. There was generally one song in the set where the um, cameras, there were two screens on either side of the stage. There was one screen on one side, one screen on the other, and then one at the back. So they would, you know, in the, in the way of big festivals, show something on the screen as the song was, as they were playing the songs. For one of the songs, I distinctly remember, they literally focused entirely on uh, on Ray as he was just jamming away on his tambourine, singing his heart out, having a brilliant time just in the back. And I could briefly look up at the screen and then look down and then look across at him on the stage. And I could just see the joy on his face. That was so, so, so refreshing to see. And it was so nice to see a band member just giving it everything. That's not to say that the rest weren't, um, but it was one that really, really stood out to me. I was really, really fond of uh, Ray Cooper and what he did that night. My friend um, Katie, who went to see him play in Bristol, I think, also commented on uh, Ray Cooper, that's his name, right? Mm. Um, and She said that every time that the camera went to something else, she was wanting it to go back to him because she <laughs> yeah, was just back, like entranced by this guy playing the congas genuinely he was having the time of his life and like you know i just want to meet this guy and like have a jam with him because i know that he's gonna it's a sort of, it's a sort of thing like that. i think as a player he starts inspiring you just by the amount of expression he's putting into what he's doing <laughs> um but yeah that was terrific um in terms of songs i mean to be fair i already mentioned tiny dancer and benny and the jets what I was um, hoping, obviously, because I came in quite late, is that I would be able to hear the songs that I really wanted to hear. Uh, as I got into the arena itself, I heard Rocket Man, awesome, tick that off the list. That was really fun. Um, 
immediately pulled out the camera, started singing at the top of my lungs when the chorus came along, because of course you do, it's Elton John, come on. Um, and then, I don't know, there are a few different songs which came and went. Candle in the Wind was one where everyone was pulling out cameras, everyone was singing along, that was brilliant. And then there were a few different songs where I didn't recognise him, probably because um, I hadn't listened to his albums enough or I haven't listened to his back catalogue thoroughly enough. Um, but then we get towards the end and there were two songs that I was desperate to hear and I got to hear them in succession. I'm Still Standing was one of those moments where I have never seen a crowd go from zero to a hundred so quickly in my entire life. Everyone went absolutely ballistic when he started playing that. Um, and that was a really, really fun moment just to be there and experience it and be part of this like, you know, this 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 mad crowd of uh, old geezers in Hawaiian shirts um, and, and, and you know, really colourful camp people all just singing I'm Still Standing um, and screaming at the top of their lungs to hit the high notes. Then after that, we got um, Crocodile Rock, which was absolutely terrific. Not quite as breathtaking as I expected. Um, the chorus in that, I don't think Elton John has actually sung for a long, long time, or at least he hasn't sung it the way that he did on the... Uh, recorded version with um, falsetto at the end of the chorus and with um, uh, a really high register when he's singing generally. But that was still a really, really nice moment. Um, what was a little perplexing after that is that once I'd heard that, I kind of went, I've heard everything I want to hear. I don't need to hear anything else now. Um because that was the whole point for me. I wanted to square, I wanted to, to to round off that circle. I wanted to complete that journey, and that's exactly what I did. Um, so I thought, right, I'm gonna. I know already that I can hear him by my marble arch. I'm gonna quietly head out of the arena. I'm gonna sit by marble arch. I'm just gonna chill out there for five minutes, and that's exactly what I did. Wandered down, sucked up the rest of the gig, and then was on my way. One thing I noticed is that BST, just as a um, festival, has this really interesting vibe where obviously it's in the middle of London. So I know in future that if I ever get moved to London, I'll probably get tickets for like one night and think I'm desperate to see. But the rest of the nights, I'll just go down and like have a picnic, just literally on a green high park because you're going to hear most of it, you know, and you're still going to have a great time. But it had this really interesting vibe where even going in, you had loads of people sat outside just literally having an evening in the park when, oh, Elton John is also happening to be playing aside, um, which was very, very cool. So I'm definitely going back to BST, and also it was a delight to see Elton John. Bucket list tick. Great gig. Out of interest, does anyone have any plans to go to other festivals over the summer? I have only one. Uh, I'm, heading to, I'm heading to uh, Love Supreme Festival this weekend in Brighton, um, which will be delightful, I hope. Erica Badu cannot wait for that tom mitch is going to be there as well um so i will report back nothing for you then james no i think i might wait for next year if covid is lower but hey we'll see yeah i'm going to forwards at the end of the summer in bristol uh where chemical brothers mm. and jamie xx are headlining and charlie xx is playing as well and then i just got an a like fast track wristband for pride this year in bristol and uh carly ray jepson's playing mm. so that should be good too yeah i remembered about forwards festival because uh, i'll be there on a sunday because it's um uh, chemical brothers isn't it yeah mm. 
I'm looking forward to that one. That's my other festival. Right, should we get on to our review for this week then? We are looking at Sometimes Forever by Sokomomi. It's her third full studio album, uh, released on Loma Vista Recordings. It clocks in at 42 minutes and 35 seconds. In the label's write-up, it says, quote, The album finds Sophie broadening the borders of her aesthetic without abandoning the unsparing lyricism and addictive melodies that made her early songs so easy to obsess over. To support her vision, Sophie enlisted producer Daniel Lopatin, whose recent credits include the Uncut Gems movie score and The Weeknd's Dawn FM, end quote. So, what did we think of the record? Let's start with James. This album took me on a journey. Um, overall, overall, I think it is a really, really solid album. I think at, at the start of the album, you get these kind of classic pop hits, really, um, all in all. But then in the core of the album, it kind of changes quite a lot. And I'm sure we'll get into that in a bit. And then the, the last third of the album, um, we get something a little bit different, but more akin to the first part of the album. Um, but my main focus of the EP, of the of the album was in the center really that that's where i found a lot of love in this album i say that because um during the first half or first third rather it did feel like she was holding back her voice a little bit it felt like she had more to give and i i think that was quite true as we get on further into the album you can she she broadens her range a bit more and she experiments, experiments a bit more. I do feel like maybe she could go a bit further, but I mean, I, I think it was fine. Um, I really enjoyed the themes um, and the, th- the themes kind of followed a third. So kind of at the start, at the start of the album, you had more like general, like kind of love songs or specific love songs about her situations. Um, so like how it was and then how she feels now in some of the songs and then like a kind of a rebirth in one of the tracks. And then towards the end, you get more uh, general things that she sings about. Um, I'm not sure if that was a deliberate progression, but that's how I heard things and... I thought that was quite clever. I really felt the band really fit fit her voice. Um, yeah, it fit really well. And I, f- I feel like you could tell she it wasn't obviously it wasn't just her. She had a lot of help behind her, but you can tell that she has a lot of input to it. Like she is a musician by herself as well. She she is pushing this band forward, pushing this music forward. She, she's a kind of main man, if you will. Yeah, there, there were some bits I didn't like. Um, and I think the main gripe I had with it is some tracks just felt a bit slow. Um, not like they were too long, but like the tempo was slow. It kind of just not enough rhythm, not enough flow. Like I just wanted a, it to speed up a bit more. That That's it really. Um, but yeah, like I said, overall, I've really enjoyed this one this week. Tom? This is where, um, 
I get a little frustrated by my format and by the format that we run here. Obviously, brand new albums, we get a week to listen to them, then review them. This is another time where I want like another two weeks to get to know this album. It feels like we've had the first day and I'm intrigued, but I can't make a decision yet as to whether I really <laughs> like this person or not. Um, but I am also intrigued and I want that second listen. Um, yeah, overall, I'm really, well, intrigued by this album. I immediately heard some direct connections with um, Japanese Breakfast and with Pronoun and with Orla Gartland and this kind of um, um, girls ruling rock sort of sub-genre that's happened over the last couple of years. I really like that. I also heard some really clear um, influences from uh, 90s Nirvana, for example, and some really cool, um, almost like counterpoint melodies where like the bass and the guitar would build um, backing tracks together and then just form this lovely little backdrop for vocals there's clearly a lot of care and attention which has gone into the crafting of this album. This isn't like, for example, Wet Leg, where the idea is to make some noise, which is also very appealing. This has been really meticulously uh, put together and crafted with a lot of courage as well. Because some of these uh, sounds and these timbres and these um, songs are actually rather ugly in places. They're quite um, difficult to listen to occasionally. But it also fits really, really nicely. Where it, it, Sometimes with these kind of things, I really hate them and there's no redeeming them. I just cannot get over it. And I wasn't sure the first time I listened to this album, but actually the more time I've spent around it, the more it's grown on me. And again, I've kind of said this before, but I think in like two or three weeks' time, this could become one of my favourite albums of the year. Um, but I'm not quite at the stage yet. Lots of variety, lots of instrumentation, clearly very well crafted with a lot of love and attention given to it. So I like it, but I want to give it more time. So the way I kind of view this album is kind of as as a progression from her previous two, where Clean was her kind of presenting her kind of bedroom, her take on kind of the bedroom pop sound, but it was still very much within that, which... I think is enjoyable, but it's not really, you know, moving the needle in terms of musical experimentation. Then her sophomore record, Color Theory, was like really expanding on it and kind of going beyond what other bedroom pop artists were doing with kind of this maybe more summery sound. My big issue with Color Theory was that I thought the beginning of the album was really strong and then later on things started to maybe, it felt like we were kind of doing the same thing again um here i feel like that there's way more variety and experimentation um and it really just builds on all of the strengths from the songwriting and everything from the previous two um one of the big influences i'd say on this record compared to the other ones is i really get a lot of radiohead vibes and it's not Mm. going way out like like kind of more modern Radiohead albums, but it's definitely taking from that kind of sound, I think. Um, and it, it just kind of gives kind of interesting sonic moments throughout the album to kind of make the songs all feel really distinct. Um, I'd say that dr- the drums in general are one of the strong parts of the album. 
there there are occasionally moments like uh where most of the instrumentation is doing quite simple stuff like they'll just kind of be a guitar strumming chords and maybe like a little line on a synth with a bass line underneath it but the drums are pushed so far forward and they they sound good and the rhythms are interesting that it kind of drives the music forward as well um and also we've been talking about live music uh i don't know if you've heard about uh this amphitheater that they built down by the river in bristol um that's been playing music over the last few weeks uh the war on drugs played on last monday as this uh episode comes out and soccer mommy were supporting and i was quite sad that i couldn't go because i mean partly because the war on drugs would have been amazing i managed to listen to some of their sound check from across the river and it sounded great um but also soccer mommy playing live just sounds like these tracks would be great in that kind of like live open air evening venue so yeah i really enjoyed this album right should we go a bit more in depth then Let's start with the opener, Bones. I actually felt like this kind of felt like early Coldplay, which I guess links back into the whole Radiohead thing, because early Coldplay was very early Radiohead influenced, right? But it kind of felt like it was more of that kind of more summery sound compared to the rest of the, the record, kind of go, sounding more like colour theory, I guess, to me. Yeah, this was... I think this song kind of undersold the rest of the album. It felt really safe, probably a bit too safe as an opening track. I kind of wonder if you could put something a bit more uh, experimental or a bit more um, out there as the first track. Um, I definitely see like the um, early Coldplay side of it. The other one that came to mind was Nature TV, which is a band in um, Brighton that I've been following for a while. Loads of chorus everywhere, loads of reverb, very wishy-washy and airy, very... Um, indie, which is kind of why it felt quite safe to me. Um, not necessarily a bad thing, but it, I wonder if you could have done something more experimental here. Um, the other thing is that the chorus is really, really appealing, nicely constructed, not too much there, nice melody line. Yeah, and there's enough there to get going, but only just. Yeah, now that you've said it, actually, I'd kind of agree that maybe if you set up the album in a more experimental way, you'd kind of see it slightly differently. And it, this does feel more like a straightforward pop song compared to a lot of the rest of it. Although I do think if you framed it in that way, would you maybe feel like the rest of the albums maybe then lacking in experimentation because you're expecting it to go further? Maybe this way it sets it up to be safe and then you get su pleasantly surprised later on. I don't know. <laughs> That's mm. weird psychology of how to sequence albums. Well, it's, it's a good question. And what I mean, take something like OK Computer, if we're going to, you know, carry down the Radiohead rabbit hole for now, even something like Airbag as an opening song, in some ways it's quite a standard rock tune, but then also you've got some sleigh bells in the back and you've got this weird cello there as well. And it really grabs the ear straight away. You've got this very traditional rock band with some, with some really like weird elements thrown in there. And I don't hear that on this one. This almost feels like a really solid track too, and you wanted something that took all of this, uh, this skeleton and then put some different meat on it almost, if you want to think about it that way. Well, I'm kind of on the side of her kind of drawing you in as like, oh, I'm, I'm just this pop singer, uh, track one and two. I'm just like this 
you know, this safe artist, you know, like we've been speaking about. And then with you kind of completely flips out on your head. And I, I think that's a deliberate attempt, a, a deliberate thing to do. Um, and I personally think it was a good thing. So, yeah. And, yeah. and I do think this first track did feel kind of safe. Um, but I did like how it kind of just went straight into it, though. Like from second one, you got this guitar, this voice, these vocals. Um, the the formula felt pretty simple, um, but I think her voice really made up for that. It's like she has a really delicate voice, but at the same time, it's quite strong. It's there's like solid meaning to it. And speaking of meaning, I really enjoyed the lyrics as well. Um, I think she's singing about being in love, but then um, her hurting her lover so much that it doesn't really feel like lo love anymore and she wants to go back to how it was. Um, and uh, I think she really portrayed that really well. So I thought it was a pretty solid opener. The second track, With You, to me brings in those kind of 90s rock type sounds that Tom, I think you were mentioning, where to me this sounds like kind of melancholy era, smashing pumpkins a bit kind of mm. then framed within a sound that makes sense with the rest of the album where it's got kind of like the slower slower beat and bigger guitars and that arp synth as well all kind of build together to give that kind of 90s slightly grungy feeling yeah and there's this kind of like well almost like a mazzy star um undertone to it as well smashing pumpkins is, is probably the, the other good comparison here but I also found this like really nice. There was like certain chord selections where I thought that's really, really nineties. And it's not just in terms of like um instrumentation and in terms of effects, it's also in terms of like chord choice as well. I also got like vibes of Lefty Grandma as well. Like this feels like the a B side or like a, a rejected track from their album. I saw a lot of parallels there. Um for some reason. They both got that same sort of tonality and attitude. Um, but yeah, this was nice. I connected this one very heavily with the first track. And again, going back to that point of having a safe open, I kind of thought, well, I've, I've got this album's number. I know what this is going to be. And then I was quite surprised in a nice way to find out I was wrong. Yeah, um, quick correction there. I think I said With You was the one that turned things um, on his head when it was actually the next track on Holy Affliction. But anyway, With, mm. um, with You had this like arpeggio intro thing which I was really into um, and I was really into the like little inserts and accents of guitar every now and then that was really a, a nice touch I think the lyrics are sweet but I don't think it really supported or the instrumentation really supported that in a way but I think I preferred the first track but um, I still, still think it kind of had the same vibes anyway it was kind of just a continuation of the first Let's jump on then to Unholy Affliction. So this was the single that when it came out, I made sure that this album had a slot to review because I thought that this this sounded like really interesting and really different because it is this kind of like slow kind of building track um, with, I think, their synths, but honestly it could be guitars or bass just kind of distorted and like weirdly muffled. Yeah, I think this is one that would, I think, divide a lot of people. 
you'll you'll even even like love it or hate it. Um, I loved it. Um, I think I think the name "Unholy Affliction" really suited the theme of the song, the sound of the song sonically. Um, yeah, you just get like some insane whiplash from the first two um, with all the dis- dissonance throughout. So if you don't like dissonance in music, then you might not like this one. Um, but it was definitely for me, and I think, like I said earlier, she was just putting a stamp on the album, being like, I can do more than one thing. This one was... I kind of mentioned that there were a few ugly moments in this album, and this was definitely one of them. I think deliberately so. Like, that opening synth in the beginning is meant to be really jarring and slightly um, off-tempo, I think, to sort of announce this is a shift and this is a new direction that this album is going in. Um, But this was still actually one of my least favorite tracks on the album. It really caught my attention, but then I just thought, so where is this going? Um, And for some reason in my mind, I kind of, again, this was another track that I kind of wrote off of going, okay, so you're going to be edgy. So what? And I was really dismissive of it when I first listened to it. Having listened to it, having listened to it through once I kind of get okay this is the transition point but it still felt really jarring quite ugly in a way that wasn't appealing to me I can see exactly why people will like it for that reason but that was also that was for the exact same reasons why I didn't like it um yeah I admire the guts and I really like this um and I also like the rest of the songs that follow it but this one in particular nah I just really couldn't hook onto this one although the drums were a standout I really like the fact they're almost like a uh, they're in a really breakbeat style they're really compressed they're really trashy um, and they're just sort of um, sitting there trying to confuse everything and doing a very good job actually the next song's Shotgun and this was the first lead single off the record for me it this is it kind of going back to maybe being more straightforward like Bones was um, but I think again the songwriting's really strong, you know. Like I, I listened to this a lot before the album came out, and yeah, the hook's really catchy. I think this is one of those moments where the drums really pull the song along, and it just kind of comes together well for me. Weirdly, I went straight to the bassline on this one. This sort of like uh, really fat, um, slightly overdriven, slightly. Um, with with a hint of chorus, bass line, I felt that was kind of what drove the song along. And I really like the fact that um, it had the guts to do this. So few songs like use the bass as actually an, an actual like melodic tool these days. I thought it was so refreshing to see that. Last time I remember it like properly being done, where I took notice of it was oh, probably Japanese Breakfast. It was probably last year. But I love songs that do this. Um, so this really really stood out to me for that reason. I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, I'd agree actually with the bass in the in the verses. I was more meaning in the choruses when the drums yeah. come through. But yeah, that bass line in the verses is awesome. Uh, yeah, and I'll complete this in saying um I really liked how the bass and the drums interacted and interacted and general tone of them. Like obviously you have the drums sounding cool and really percussive because they're drums, but with the distortion on the bass, that that felt really percussive as well, and that really played well with the drums. And 
I also like the Weeboo Simps. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And the same thing, it it also sounded like it could be guitar as well, but I I did decide it was Simps, but it did go Weeboo. It did go Weeboo. And and yeah, I thought this this was more akin to the first and second track. Um, But I did feel like it brought a bit more experimentation like it did in the third track. Um, And in the chorus, I got like some Taylor Swift vibes every now and then, like during the end of end of line. So I will take Mm. that as a compliment. Um, Yeah, great song. And and uh, it's definitely a single like this. If you're listening to this album and you... You ask what what's what do you think is the single? I think this is the one you'd pick out because it's so catchy, right? Can I skip ahead to um, Darkness Forever because that's kind of another track which stood out to me for that exact same reason: the fact that lots of these songs don't rely on a singer or a vocal line to give it a catchy hook. There's lots of songs where, um, again, the bass was really prominent here and it also played in with the guitar and with the various effects that were in the song to sort of lay this groundwork, this really solid foundation for the vocals to just sit on top and improve to augment. Um, and I really liked Darkness Forever. It was really slow and I wasn't quite sure at the beginning because the chords were a little bit weird because I think they're kind of like, um, uh, I want to say they're Vaudeville inspired. I could be wrong there, um, but they've almost got this slight jazzy undertone to it so i wasn't quite sure to begin with but actually the more i've listened to it the more i've fallen in love with this um track again really big and fat and compressed drums which is really really nice but they're not overpowering um and normal and lots of like sludgy fuzzy guitar stuff which normally i don't like but for some reason it works here really nicely um and i really like the soundscape that's in this one i really like the way this one's been put together yeah i think by this point in the album she's kind of set out kind of maybe the parameters in which it it this the album kind of exists and she is starting to might maybe in the first section you've got kind of bones is the more pop side with you is kind of this 90s rock unholy affliction is this more experimental stuff and then you kind of get to these later songs and it starts to maybe blend some of those elements together so on Darkness Forever, you do get maybe a bit more of the pop side in terms of the vocals and stuff, but you get the fuzzy guitars from the 90s rock stuff uh, and and those huge drums as well. And it, it's starting to all kind of mesh together into something that feels... I don't think it feels uncohesive at the beginning, but it feels more a synthesis of the elements that she set up mm. rather than kind of being each of those in turn. Yeah, um... Darkness Forever might actually be my favorite track on on this album. Um, it starts with this like very creepy singing, really, um, and it just gave me goosebumps. And really, throughout the whole song, it gave me goosebumps. Um, and I was really expecting at the beginning it to turn into like a heavy metal track. That's how that's how it sounded. Um, but yeah, it went back into a voice, which was really good. Yeah, and at the start, yeah, it's it's really stripped back with just pretty much just her voice. But then, as we get later in the track, um, we have these guitars suddenly kind of introducing themselves a bit more, and that's kind of like a punch in the face, and it's a good punch in the face. Um, and I love how it's just three verses, 
there's no like real chorus it and that's kind of that's the experimental I like as well playing playing with um yeah going against how things are normally um and I, yeah I think the theme matches the instrumentation and the instrumentation matches the theme of the lyrics again and that's that how that's how a lot of these tracks work and I really like that um and towards the end the guitars goes a bit they're a bit more subtle but the subtle things they do are really well um go really well with the track um it's like the subtle bends that you can hardly hear but they add so much to the track if unholy affliction wasn't a turning point for you then i think this one would definitely be we skipped over new demo which i just want to bring up briefly to say there's one of my less preferred tracks on the album for me it didn't bring anything hugely exciting and it's kind of like it's a little bit slow and kind of it feels like kind of a slow ballad or at least her take on it but then it's just I don't know, there wasn't, for me, enough kind of development and it didn't have the catchiness of Shotgun or Bones. It was just maybe lacking that extra bit. And I guess based on the name, maybe it's supposed to sound a bit rough around the edges, but it just didn't really work in that slot for me. And this is kind of one problem I've got with the album. And there's, a, I swear there's not a little bit where I got a little bit, I don't know, irritated or got or something got stuck on my nose. Just the idea of a song being called New Demo. And I admit, it's a very sort of grumpy old man opinion, but just like, if it couldn't be bothered to name the song, why is the song on the album? It, it felt a little bit like filler. It's as close as this album got to filler. I think you'll find it's pronounced New Demo. Um, uh, I see. Yeah, this is all that, one that of the explains one. everything. Oh, it, it could be New Demo, right? <laughs> that would explain it i think um yeah i felt like this one was a bit of a drag um in terms of tempo i really wanted a bit of a lift in there um some oomph to it um and that happens to some other tracks later down the line um but i still think it was all right um the but towards the end towards the end of the track we do get some subtle orchestral bits which are like really quiet and i don't know if i prefer that subtlety or i i want them to be brought forward a little bit but they were nice when i could hear them and with that we got a bit more atmosphere to the track so that was the redeeming factor of it for me Track seven, don't ask me, kind of goes back, I think, to that Smashing Pumpkins y, maybe Mazzy Star influence as well. Um, but what I liked about this one was that at this point in the album, after having New Demo and then Darkness Forever, uh, it kind of has a bit more fluidity to it. Like it is a faster song and it, the drums aren't kind of staccato. They, they do have this kind of break feel to them. So it, it just kind of brings the energy level back up a bit after it's been down for a while even if it's maybe not doing as much interesting stuff as some of the other tracks this one was interesting for me because lyrically she's 
um, well, singing less negative, negatively. She's singing about coming back to the surface, um, being reborn, basically, um, after these pretty depressing, lyrically, songs previously. Um, but yeah, this, this was an uplifting one. I think it was needed. Um, and I got, like, her singing reminded me of Chris Cornell. I think she had some really strong singing and just just the tonal quality of her voice is quite unique to her. Even though I'm comparing it to Chris Cornell, but I, I, yeah, I do think she has uniqueness and that's all I gotta say. You can edit that bit better. I'll make a note on the next two songs. Fire in the Driveway, I, I quite enjoy it being kind of a slower, maybe more guitar focus song. Like it, it just kind of strips things back again and kind of gives you something a little bit different than, than everything else on the album. And then Following Eyes has like a much more kind of, I don't know, maybe like pop rock feel and, and thing about kind of pop rock bands in the 90s, maybe that kind of like walk that line a little bit in kind of alt rock and kind of doing the more pop side of that. So yeah, I, I enjoy both of those tracks. It's more just that they kind of came at the end of the album and I haven't really spent as much time as I have with some of the earlier songs with them. Yeah, for me, this is kind of where the album dipped a bit, dipped and kind of plateaued. Um, yeah, Fire in the Driveway. It was a calmer one, but it just didn't really do much for me. I like the oohs and the ahs of the voice, um, but it just it just didn't have enough to it, I think. And following eyes, um, I didn't really enjoy the juxtaposition between the verse and the chorus. I, I think I get what she's trying to do. Juxtaposition. <laughs> have juxtaposition. Um, but it just, it just didn't work for me. It just didn't sound right. Um, and yeah, I don't think it's str- as strong as the others. I did quite like Following Eyes, actually. I felt this was a really um, quite refreshing song, but I kind of wish that in the verses it lent more into this sort of foreboding nature it had. It felt quite ominous and it felt quite um, uh, spooky the way it was arranged. And I really liked that, but I kind of wanted it to feel a bit more dramatic. If we're getting towards the end of the album here, I want to hear some sort of like emotional climax. Um, and the chorus kind of did that. And I kind of like the fact that it doesn't quite meld the way you would expect with the verses. But again, I kind of want that to go a little bit more over the top. This feels a little bit too restrained for where it is on the album, but I really, really like the musical ideas here. Um, and it really shows me that this isn't just any old dream pop or indie album. This is something that's got a lot to analyze. And I really, actually really enjoyed this one. It's probably... Oh, when I've got to ask myself what my favorite would be. I love Shotgun. I love Darkness Forever. And I think I love this one as well. This is a nice one. I thought Feel It All The Time was quite an interesting track because I, I think it's, again, one of the catchier songs on the album. Kind of, And coming towards the end, it, I think it kind of, I think still wraps up the album really nicely, but Feel It All The Time kind of gives that crescendo, I guess, that you were talking about, Tom, kind of like bringing everything to the front. Um, and it is kind of going back to the, like those kind of '90s rock influences, but also I got almost like a a, a sense of 
earlier Tame Impala in there as well, in just some of the way that the melodies are written, but maybe that's me kind of projecting a weird thought onto it. Feel it all the time. It it kind of made the album go full circle back to the first two tracks. Um, I'm not really sure how I feel about that because of how she did the experimentation and how, how I really enjoyed that. And then kind of going back to this, I I guess it's nice to have another one of those on the album. Um, but for me, it it just felt a bit slow compared to the things she was doing previously. Um, I, I think I think that comparison might have done more harm than good. Yeah, I'm afraid for a little time it was a nice little track, but it did feel quite ugh, sterile compared to what came before, I must be honest. Um, and it was a lovely song, and I think in any other album I would have really liked it, but the fact that we had such um, colour and such nuance before, this felt a little bit flat, almost. Um, it doesn't take away from the album, but it just doesn't add anything to it. Um yeah, so I I just kind of felt that was another point where I just felt this feels a tiny bit like filler to get this to eleven tracks rather than ten. Uh, and then the final track is called Still. Um, and I really enjoyed it actually. I thought this was one of the better examples. I mentioned New Demo being kind of one of my less preferred tracks. This is kind of doing that more acoustic sound and slower track right where there is kind of instrumental progression over the song and it, it really does for me end the album in a nice way where it feels like kind of giving you almost a runoff which I don't always enjoy at the end of albums quite mm. a lot of the time I feel like oh I wish you'd move that forward and we had more of kind of a crescendo right at the end but I feel like I got that enough with the previous track and then this one kind of like soothes you out of it again and into kind of being relaxed which kind of makes sense with kind of what we were talking about earlier with the opening track easing you in and then this one kind of easing you out of that kind of the experience. I can't say I really felt the same way. Um, would I have liked it if it was a more of a crescendo ending? I'm not sure. I feel like track 10 was actually a good ending to this one, this album, rather than having an 11th track. Maybe moving that 11th track um, earlier, it might do the album good. But for me, I think track track 10 was a better ending. Yeah, I like the fact that this was a really mellow ending to the album. I don't think enough artists really do this. Um, or at least certainly when I recall recent albums I've listened to. Um, this was nice. But again, I kind of think that this song had another gear it didn't quite reach. I wanted a bit of the weirdness that I saw in like Following Eyes and like Darkness Forever. Um, but this was still really, really nice and refreshing and it felt like a really nice palate cleanser. Um, and it made it really, really easy to loop back around to the start and listen through again, um, which was a nice added bonus. I didn't quite expect that. In terms of concluding the album, again, I'm kind of, I kind of think the show should finish with like a big flourish, um, and you should have quite a track like this, but let's give it something really odd at the end to announce that it is the end of the album, like a string section or some sort of like orchestra uh, outro. And I kind of want it to have some sort of element like that. I want it to go a little bit more left field. Um, but it's nice. It's a nice little ending. I just kind of wish it went a little bit further. 
Right, so should our listeners check this album out? Tom? Yeah, this is a good album. James? I say not only listen to this album, but listen to her previous albums as well. Yeah, and I'd give this album a strong recommendation for pretty much everyone. Right, so where do we want to rank it? The rankings currently stand as... At number one, Black Country, New Road with Ants from Up There. At number two, Let's Eat Grandma with Two Ribbons. At number three, Obong Jaya with Some Nights I Dream of Doors. At number four, Oso Oso Saw Thumb. Number five, Animal Collective with Time Skiffs. Number six, A Bibio Sound Machine with Electricity. Number seven, Bonobo with Fragments. Number eight, Whatever the Weather. Number nine, Yard Act with The Overload. Number ten, Bodega with Broken Equipment. Number eleven, Beach House with Once Twice Melody. Number 12, Everything Everything with Raw Data Feel. Number 13, Pillow Queens with Leave the Light On. Number 14, Wet Leg. Number 15, Charlie XCX with Crash. Number 16, Jack Francis. Number 17, Grocer with Numbers Game. Number 18, Erin Ann with Do Your Worst. Number 19, String Machine with Hallelujah Hell Yeah. Number 20, Burial's Anti-Dawn. Number 21, Sweet Pill with Where the Heart Is. Number 22, Earl Sweatshirt with Sick. And number 23, Of House with Ripoffs. Where do we want to put sometimes forever? I think I sounded quite, I came across quite negative for this one. I'm not sure if I did or not, but I do actually feel really positive about this one. Um, I'll definitely put it at the higher end of our scale, and that might even go above Animal Collective. That That's how much I enjoyed this album. That's interesting. I would go high. I wouldn't go that high. I would start at Beach House. Still pretty high. Number 11. Okay, well, let's start there. So should it go above Beach House? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Should it go above Bodega? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Should it go above Yard Act? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Should it go above Whatever the Weather? Definitely. Yeah. I'm going to say yes. Should it go above Bonobo? Yep. No. I'm also going to say no. (gasps) Oh, there it is. Which puts it in at number eight. That's a solid performance, number eight. That's the first album in a while we've put in the top ten. Mm-hmm. It's been a few weeks with um, lower albums. So yeah, good to be back. Right, let's get on to upcoming releases then. Only a couple this week. I guess it's festival season, so things have slowed down a bit because no one wants to release around Glastonbury, even though these will be coming out like the week after. I guess there are other festivals, right? First up, James Wrighton is releasing uh, his debut album. It's called Jim, I'm Still Here, which is a great album title. Uh, It's kind of like synth poppy stuff. I've listened to some of the singles and really enjoyed them, so I'd recommend checking that one out. Uh, and the other album for this week, Metric, the Canadian rock band, are releasing a new album, Formentera. I would imagine that the two of you who are big fans of bands like Muse would also enjoy Metric's music, if you haven't listened to it already. I'll check it out. And that's it for upcoming releases, and that's it for the show. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the show, why not share it with a friend? You can subscribe to us on your podcast service of choice. You can keep in touch with us by following us on Twitter at Unmuted Weekly and on Instagram at Unmuted Unmastered. You can drop us an email at unmutedunmastered at gmail.com. I can announce that the album for next week 
is Raise Hell by Fresh. Ta-da!